Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Do you like talking about movies? Do you like talking about mediocre movies? Do you like talking about how you could have fixed mediocre movies? Well, I certainly do, and you can listen to me, Scott C. Bourgeois, along with my co-hosts Greg Beaver and Liam Kreswick, as we give our notes, and I have some notes. You can follow it now on your podcatcher of choice, or support it by visiting patreon.com slash I have some notes. So we've been in the middle of an abysmal cold snap. I know that this is not uh, necessarily news for anybody in North America because pretty much the entire continent has been in the midst of an abysmal cold snap. (laughs) I mean, it's particularly bad for us because we're in like central Alberta, right in the prairies where it normally gets pretty cold. So we're like right in the heart of it. Yeah, I think we broke a record the other day. Yeah, it was pushing minus 50. For the like either the coldest or like the second coldest place on the entire planet. It wouldn't be the first time we've broken that in the last couple of years. Yeah. But yeah, with the wind chill pushing minus 50, that's Celsius. It's so cold. If you're familiar with the Fahrenheit's, at that temperature, it's basically the same. (laughs) It's not that different. Yeah, exactly. Minus 40 and minus 40 is the same, no matter what scale you're using. So when we say we hit minus 50, it's still really cold. Yeah. Now, the reason I bring this up is not just, hey, fun weather talk like normal, (laughs) uh, because it was at its coldest over this past weekend, and wouldn't you know it, that's the weekend that we went winter camping with the scout group. Well, you did. Yes. I stayed home where it was warm. My son is in Beavers, which is the like lowest level of Boy Scouts in Canada at the very least. I don't, there might be different divisions uh, in other parts of the world. And I'm a scouter with the group, so I'm one of the group leaders. And this happened to be the weekend we were doing our winter camp. It was unbelievably cold. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, In a way that, like, actually makes it so that we can't really be outside in any capacity. And you might be thinking, well, surely you would have canceled this winter camp. To which I say, haha, no, we're Canadian. Sure didn't. We're Canadians and we can handle a little cold. So we took the kids and we went out winter camping with them. And you know what? Had a blast. And stayed warm. Had it. Well, yeah, obviously (laughs) we stayed warm. Obviously. Had a great time. It's just, it amuses me that, like, it's been so mild through most of the winter so far, and then it, like, The one weekend you're going out. Yeah, and of course, this upcoming weekend, temperatures are supposed to rise back up to a manageable level. Yeah, back to, like, normal seasonal cold. I took out the garbage earlier before we recorded, and it's already, like, noticeably warmer outside right now than it was earlier today. Yeah, it was supposed to warm up today. Yeah. Like it went from really cold this morning to less cold this afternoon. And even now that the sun's gone down, it's still not quite as cold. We're leaving the polar vortex. So. Bye. Unfortunately, too late for the winter camp. But <sighs> that's right. At any rate, that's where I was <laughs> with, where you were. with my son this past weekend. Good times. Anyway, that's, that's my funny anecdote. I can sort of relate though to the whole, well, we're Canadian, we keep going because on the Saturday... You were gone. I had dropped our daughter off at her grandparents' house, and I had stopped at the grocery store to pick up a couple things. And the grocery store was surprisingly crowded. 
Like a grocery store is busy on a Saturday. I get it. But this is a Saturday when it's like between minus 40 and minus 50, depending on what time you're there. And full of people shopping like nothing's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. No. Uh, when you live in our climate, you can't let a cold snap necessarily interfere with your life. Otherwise, you'd never go out. Well, over the winter. It gets <laughs> it gets nice here in the summer. It sure does. It turns into summer here. Yeah, and then sometimes it gets too hot, and then I have to be inside again. Exactly. Or in the shade or something. We're not, we don't live in some frozen tundra. All the time. Usually, yes. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, one good thing about being in when it's cold, though, is you get a chance to read a book. Yeah. And we certainly did that with Chapter 5. But before that, a little... Uh, Brief recap of chapter four of our novel, where a harried Mallory makes her way through the pounding rain <laughs> to Cornelia's mansion, where she discovers that Diana is not, in fact, dead. Thank goodness. That she's there, which was very surprising, and that uh, the whole crew basically knows what's up because Theodore went and blabbed to them immediately. And they're all four trying to solve a mystery. So they call up the guy who sent them the note, get a little scoop from him that he's actually the middleman for a very important local politician. And that's where we go into chapter five of The Undetectables by Courtney Smith. So before we leave to go and visit the nightmare... I feel like I should over-enunciate it, the night mayor. As opposed because, to the nightmare. Because it's just going to come out as nightmare if I say it too quickly. <laughs> Certainly with our flat accent. Right? Yeah. But uh, they they don't leave immediately because the first order of business is finding a mode of transportation for Theodore because he wants to come along. But that's not easy for him to do because of the whole... Messing with electronics thing? Yeah. He's got this whole electrical situation. Yeah. That's a bit of a problem. I... Okay. So this world that we're reading in here, mm -hmm. it is a fun mix of science and magic. Yes. Right? There's, there's definitely, they're, they're both in parallel. Yeah, exactly. Well, and even in one of the earlier chapters, it was kind of implied that magic is just like a different way of doing things. I guess so. Yeah. I don't totally understand it. Apparently, neither do a lot of people in the world because Diana outright says there's so much we don't yet know about magic. <laughs> right? So yeah, basically... As, as far as I understand it, because Theodore is a ghost, he has a really strong static electrical charge to him. I don't know if that's necessarily true of all ghosts. Well, I don't know about all ghosts, he but does, him, He does, sure. I think, specifically because of his method of death, which was oh, electrocution. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and so he's just like carrying residual electrical charge. I didn't think about that. That was actually my read on that. I could be wrong, and you could be right. It could be an all ghosts thing. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't actually electrocuted, though, Well, right? he did have the electrical burn, so there was definitely some electricity involved. Yes, electricity was involved, but we don't know that that's what killed him. Either way, he is basically made of static. Yes. Which makes him very, very unfriendly to electronics, which is hard to do nowadays because phones and computers and cars all have a lot of electronic components to them. Now, the good news is Diana has hit upon an idea, which actually came from the plot of the television show she was working on. Yes. In that someone in that series had hit upon this idea of, hey, my ghost friend can just hitch a ride in my witch light. And she was like, that might actually work. And so they kind of 
They talk, tried it. They talk Theodore into giving it a try, and it seems to work. He can be safely transported that way. I imagine it's kind of like being a genie trapped in a bottle, right? Like tiny space. It's probably not super comfortable. He's probably bored in there. Well, he certainly can't seemingly interact with the outside world. A good question would be how aware is he while he's in there? My guess is for maximum comedic value, fully aware. (laughs) Powerless to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Stuck in there until he gets let out is my guess. Yeah. But with him in tow, they pack up their things, they head out. To the mayoral offices. Yes. In central Racton. Jacob brings the car round and and off they go. Uh, they arrive late, but that is when the nightmare works, hence nightmare. Jacob leads them in past like a bored security guard who barely acknowledges that they're there. Uh, and then he like leads them down a corridor, which is lit by witch lights that kind of light up in front of them and then turn off behind them. Yeah. Possibly just to look spooky. <laughs> the way the book described it uh, with like neon lights over like really dark, like an office space, but mm-hmm. like dark and kind of stylized. And in my head, it was this weird cross between the production design of the Ministry of Magic from the Harry Potter movies and uh, all the neon, the crazy neon lights from Blade Runner. I don't know why. That's what it looks like in my head. They get taken to the nightmare's office. Jacob pops in and then he pops out and is like, you're going to have to wait a couple minutes. He's just finishing something up. I'll be in my office next door. And that's the last (laughs) we see of him. Bye. And a few minutes later, they are invited into the office of Vincent Van Doren. Yes. The nightmare. The nightmare. The man. Yes. The man himself. He's this gray, gaunt figure who Mallory's like, is he gray because all of the terrible things that are going on right now? Or is he gray just because, like, he doesn't see sunlight? <laughs> Could be. Could be both. Don't Could be know. All I know is that he wears a large emerald ring that the book constantly mentions. Yes. <laughs> he also has an office that's decked out like an occult shop. Yeah, it's all purple. And gray. And gray. And full of, like, knickknacks and jars and, like, bubbling tubes Yeah, and like stuff. weird oddities, that kind of thing. Yeah. He then does not really give them any helpful information. Not really? (laughs) Jacob intimated that the Nightmare kind of knew what was going on, and he has basic information. But when they sit down and actually are like, hey, so what's the gig? He mostly spends the chapter dissembling and talking to himself. Right? Or over their heads or around them. But he doesn't really give them much in the way of direct answer. This is another case of our characters just being a little scattered. I'm, I'm making. I'm gesturing, and no one can see it. I'll stop that's, doing that. Well, that's actually a fair observation because all three of them are kind of. Mallory's a little overwhelmed by all of what's going on, and she's a little off-put still because of everything leading up to this meeting. Yes. Diana's clearly super nervous to be even be in this office. Oh yeah, the book constantly mentions how she's. Uh, you know, fiddling with like her pins and her buttons and her hat and like her fingers are always worrying something, you know? Yeah. And I suspect it might be because she's one of those people who the moment that like an authority figures in their presence, they get like real nervous. Oh, maybe. And then you've got Cornelia who just can't stop swallowing her foot like inch by inch <laughs> with every word that comes out of her mouth. Oh, just like in she the is... presence of someone she so despises for she... such a bonkers reason and just, yeah, just can't. 
can't contain her vitriol. <laughs> Mallory actually at one point describes how Cornelia is such a force of nature that even Cornelia can't stop her right? when she gets on a roll. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from when you say they're all kind of scattered. But they're also like not really following the plot. But neither is he. In no, a neither way. is he. That's the weird He's thing. He's having his own conversation that they're not privy to, and they're trying to get information out of him that he's unwilling to give. So it's like two people who are talking across one another. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't even go so far as to call it a conversation because he very, very little of what he says is actually directed at them. And very little of what they say actually registers with him. Yes, exactly. This is a group of people in a room talking. But not saying anything. But not conversing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Perhaps... I shouldn't say not saying anything, because there is stuff said. Oh, there's lots of things said. Yeah. The key important things are that the nightmare does reveal to them the person who was murdered and gives them a police report that has already been put together, because there are police already on the case. Now, apparently, Racton does have a small constabulary of apparent police officers. Yeah. Who mostly just, like are glorified security guards for the town because, as as the Nightmare puts it, a culture doesn't do big crimes. So when something like this happens, they're kind of out of their depth. And later on in the chapter, that's even kind of further cemented when they mention, like, hey, this didn't happen with Theodore's death. He had a suspicious death, and the police investigated it and just found an excuse and were happy with that and just washed their hands of it and walked away. We know better. We know something suspicious happened, but they were just happy to have an excuse. They don't have an excuse this time, and that means that there is no way that they can just pretend this wasn't something serious. Yeah, they can't explain this one away any way else. Yes, and that has the nightmare spooked, and we know that because he's very concerned that this will cause an incident. He calls it an international incident, and he's talking about the unified magical liaison which is basically this governing body that kind of loosely is responsible for all of the magical communities around the world. He's worried that if they catch wind of this and begin to think that some incompetence is at work, that it will reflect badly on the town. More importantly, badly on him because his re-election is coming up. Yes. It becomes really, really clear in this conversation that he is having with himself that his big concern is his political position. Yes. He wants to remain the nightmare. And this death looks bad on him. Yes. So this needs to be solved quickly and quietly. Yeah. So the reason why he's ultimately reached out to find any private detective willing to take this case is because the police need a leg up. He needs more investigators without publicly bringing in more police. Yes. And he makes it very clear. This is on the DL. He will deny that he has hired them yes. because this cannot get out that this has happened. He just needs someone to be discreet and investigate and then like feed the police the answers. Yeah, more or less. Yes. So he gives them this police report that doesn't have much in it that Mallory doesn't really absorb anyway. Well, she doesn't have time to. And they don't get to keep it. No. So Because he has to return it to the police. So zero help there. She gets a little bit. Well, like when you give something a once over. Yeah. Right? Like a first pass. The details are all going to be lost to them now. She gets a little bit of information from it, which we kind of already knew, but there is a, a little bit more in the way of details there. Number one, they don't know the exact time of death. TOD is question mark on yep. the police report. They don't know if he's, he was there for hours or days or weeks, but they do know that he was in a surprisingly well-preserved condition. 
I'm not exactly sure what that means. Number two, they're fairly confident he died of asphyxiation from swallowing his tongue. Right. That seems well, plainly obvious. There would be evidence of that, yeah. Post-mortem, he was carved up. There were, right. there were like magical sigils carved onto his body post-death. <laughs> and that was definitely not something that we were aware of happening prior to his death. Agreed. So there is some sort of ritual at work we can mm-hmm. surmise, but that's basically what she gets. Yeah, which, granted, better than nothing, but still not that much. Yeah, they don't really get much to go on. They mostly just kind of get quietly under the table hired and sort of half-jokingly threatened that they better solve the case and quickly. It was a weird, weird meeting. Yeah. At the very least, they do get the promise that Diana and Mallory will get some monies and Cornelia, who doesn't care about monies because she wants for nothing, Mm -hmm. uh, will get political favor. A favor. That's a terrifying prospect. Yeah, especially in the hands of Cornelia based on what we already know about her. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then that's sort of it. They're ushered out of his office and our chapter ends with them standing alone in the hallway. Yeah. In the dark. And Mallory kind of like half apologizing for dragging them into it again and them just being like, no, like it's fine. (laughs) We all want to do this. We all want to do this. We need something to do. And it seems like this might be right up our alley. So let's detect the undetectable. (laughs) See what I did there? Very clever. Yeah. Yes, you're very smart. (laughs) But that's more or less, as you say, it. Yeah, that's we just sort of stop in the hallway. So I'm not sure where we're going to pick up next time. Yeah. A lot of crunchy bits in this chapter, but surprisingly not a lot of it. Like, it wasn't the info dump that maybe we were expecting. Yeah, I think that's it. Normally when we are solving a murder mystery, as readers anyway, we get a fairly large info dump to, like... Set the stage? Set everything up. We don't have that yet. Not really. Not really. Like, we were kind of privy to Custer's death, but all that aftermath is really important. Yeah. And we don't know a lot about it. We also obviously don't know who committed it. Well, obviously. Yeah. That's the mystery, honey. We will have to investigate further along with our protagonists. See what you did there. As uh, we move into chapter six, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. In the meantime, of course, as always, you can give us a little rating and review because that helps us out. Always appreciate those. Uh, We would also like to exchange appreciations with you via social media. (laughs) We are on X slash Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, and Blue Sky. We are at the read along on most of those. Yes. You can find us like that. You can also send us an email. Absolutely. We are, unsurprisingly, the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Staticky Ghosts. Thank you for joining us on The Read-Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. All read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read-Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com